finally, a special edition motorcycle for the discerning rider. A ride like no other. A ride that says, hey, look at me. I is the coolest. The Krusty Cycle. Feel this baby purr as you turn the key. Now featuring Krusty Satnav. Take a left, you moron. It's a one-way street, you putz. Hey, check out the rock on that brunette. <laughs> You've had an accident. <laughs> the Krusty Cycle. Get yours this month and receive a free limited edition Krusty Horn. <laughs> well, I don't care. Look, just do what it takes. Snooker ball in a sock. Whatever. Look, gotta go. Very pleasant to be back. You keeping well? Good show. One thing I like to say about this podcast is that, that even if my bits in between are of questionable quality, the calibre of guest is top draw. Tell you what I'll do, I'm going to hum you some stuff. I'll hum you some stuff. And there is a valid reason for it. I haven't gone completely. So, here goes. <laughs> Big film themes, right? But how often do you hear a composer who works at that kind of level in film talk about, you know, the things that lead them to write what they write in the the style in which they do? I promise to change that with this podcast. The Academy Award-nominated composer Nicholas Brattel is on Homer Corona for a, a chat that's going to be fun, revealing, and actually quite educational as well. Nicholas scored the movie If Beale Street Could Talk, Moonlight, Succession, The Big Short, just loads of amazing films and TV shows. And there are some wonderful clips of Nick's music on YouTube. And what you'll be part of next is a two-part conversation with Nicholas Brattel, and this is part one. Stop putting your face. And Nicholas, warm welcome to you. You are so much more than the archetypal film composer who scores a movie. You perform, you've been involved with multimedia projects. Is that how a composer needs to be now, uh, agile and versatile, and that if you can't do those things, forget it? One of the beauties of music and, and the world of arts and entertainment is that there are so many ways each of us can uh, can you know do our thing. Uh, for me... Um, I'm I'm definitely drawn to collaborative forms. Just something that I'm personally, uh, you know, that I love to do. So um, I love performing with others. I love, uh, you know, working on a film, which is this sort of amazing team sport where you get to collaborate with the director, editor, you know, uh, cinematographer, producer. You you know, have these amazing conversations. So I don't think there's any one right way to do anything. You know, uh, I think we each uh, find the things that we love and hopefully get the opportunities to do those things. So um, so I'm I'm drawn to 
ah you know changing it up, i think, as much as possible. and that's that's one of the great things with film music is that each movie is its own world, its own new adventure. and um i think that definitely keeps it interesting what is the default instrument? do you have one, nicholas, to get you started when a a commission comes through? someone says, right, we we need nicholas on this to to score this film. do you automatically go to the piano or the violin or a guitar or, or, or what? That's a great question. I, I, you know, I am a pianist, so um, I think interestingly because of that, um, I I often will either write, uh, you know, uh, at the piano just to explore ideas, or you know, uh, sometimes when I'm sometimes when I'm traveling, it's interesting to not be at a piano and just sort of you know just with a notepad, for example. But um, in particular, I think because I'm a pianist, I I try to not initially go for the piano as a sound in a movie. Um, piano is, a be- you know, I'm, I'm biased maybe, but I mean, I think it's a beautiful instrument. And um, I think that uh, it it's a very natural instrument uh, and it works with um, with movies very well. However, my hope in, a, in, in working on any film is to find a unique sound for that film. So it's not, a, I, I'm not thinking so much of, um, you know, let's, intellectually let's say oh this should be a piano or this should be this i think it's more experimenting with the film and there's something mysterious about when you put certain sounds up against certain pictures that sometimes things feel better than others and it's not um it's not obvious why that is you know um there in if beale street could talk uh early on barry said to me that he was feeling brass he was imagining that there might be horns and trumpets in the score and uh so i started you know writing with that in mind, okay. and what we found was that that actually didn't work right away in the way that we thought it might. It felt too something, maybe too straightforward, or it didn't. It wasn't. It wasn't complex enough somehow. At least what I had been doing with that, and we found it needed strings. And then we found this rich tapestry of strings with brass and the different instrumental combinations of cellos and flugelhorns and trumpets and French horns and how they blended. And that was something that was, that felt right. So it's a, it's a, it's a journey, you know, it's a, it's a journey of experimenting. <laughs> you see that, that, that almost sounds to me like it's a, a vote for the kind of Peter and the Wolf approach that certain set instruments and sounds can only do justice to, to certain emotions or scenes. Do you think that underpins what you do, Nicholas? It really depends on the project, you know. I think that um, there's definitely a broad range of sounds that can work uh, for anything, really. And and the goal is to find the things that work for you, as you know, as if you're the composer, the composer and the director, let's say. So you know, a a, a different composer and director might have a completely different set of instrumental combinations that they feel works it's such a personal kind of process but i think the 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 hope is that you find a set of sounds and and melodic and harmonic ideas that says something for you that moves you and then your thesis is that if it moves me hopefully it will move other people <laughs> so you know i think yeah. it's it's mis- it's mysterious <laughs> i can i can see where that would work entirely um i'll have to put my hand up to this nicholas uh, a composer uh-huh. friend of mine composer friend yeah. put me up sure. to this question to you are you a major or minor chord fan <laughs> <laughs> that's a great question i uh so i you know i I would have to say, uh, and I bet a lot of musicians would agree, I'm probably a minor chord fan. <laughs> but I, there's something about music that is in a minor 
a more minor mode mm. that I am definitely drawn to. That being said, I have a sort of um, specific take on you know people sometimes there's there's sometimes this mapping of our minor chords sad and our major chords happy, etc. You know, and obviously there are certain worlds in which that that is can be true, but I find sometimes that in particular, let's say in a movie, the thing the things that I find the most sad, if you will are sometimes when mm. the music is in a major key. And um, I think there's something that, that shows to me the complexity of film actually, is that you know, uh, although on its own, outside of a movie, a piece of music might seem happy, you know, or we might think it's happy, you know, because it's, it's very, music is so abstract. But I think in the context of a film, you know, it's the interaction that is the emotion. Uh, it's both the music and it's the way the music is with the story and the characters. And that's what's amazing, I think, about film is that um, you are creating these complex textures and the results of those mixtures, um, have it, it, it creates its own sort of new set of experiences. Yeah, and back we go to Nick in a minute or two. I should jolly well say so. <laughs> As... There's no need for that, is there, at all. My apologies. I want to say something about COVID. And as this podcast is called Homer Corona, I don't think it's a liberty to do that. Because, of course, one of the first wave of venues to reopen well, they were, were pubs and, oddly, model villages as well. How they both fell into the same category, I, I can't see the logic there. But pubs, pubs and model villages were one of the first... Uh, premises venues to reopen but to me there seemed to be one glaring omission what about the pubs in model villages all right mate get us a point will you did you pre-order on the app is that the app on the non-existent phone because not even nanotechnology could make one small enough to be used by a minute replica of a person in a pub in a model village yeah. Anyway, I didn't get any of that. I can't hear beyond two metres. And someone's put this background music on too loud. I'm John Rose. John Rose, I is. You are very welcome. Should we say a few quick hellos? Yes, I think we should. Very good of Noel Posher to be listening. I'll tell you who else is tuned in. Grace Fouter, Liz Jodes, Plaster of Baylord is too. Tim Quickler. And also hello, Taylor Nailpipe. Let's tee up part two of that chat with our vastly talented guest, the twice Academy Award-nominated composer Nicholas Brittell. You've scored the film adaptation of the James Baldwin novel If Beale Street Could Talk, which has this, this kind of communal bond between people in an oppressed minority. How do you, as a composer, get yourself in just the right headspace to score the, the unrest, the division, but ultimately the, the love as well? And, and the movie really is about love. Uh, I think that's something, you know, you find a way in for yourself of uh, emotionally, what what is this world? What is it going to sound like? And um, the strings, uh, to, to Barry and to me, the strings, I think, do symbolize love in If Beale Street Could Talk. However, um, the brass... You know, it's 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 something that you learn on every project. It's just the ways in which these things feel like. To me, the brass represents both extreme joy and 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 deep pain. Uh, there's something very 
really truly powerful about the highs and lows that the brass can represent and the strings are this sort of world that brings things together um, and and to us I think felt like love so it's a journey of following your feelings so there and there's no it's not an intellectual mm-hmm. process I guess I would say it's um it's not something where you say oh here's the you know this is the story so I'm gonna do ABC mm-hmm. you know it's really you start imagining what you might do and then you try it out you put a piece of music up against the picture and you say what does that do and then you learn from that and you know i say barry what are you feeling here and there are times where my instinct of what the right sound might be or the right piece might be for something is very different from barry's and it's amazing how how many different ways you know you can go um so barry and i will talk a lot about what we want how we want something to feel and 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 what we want an audience to feel and then we try to figure out how to create that feeling this at the end here nicholas feels probably like it's my essay question i'll try and condense it it's <laughs> it's said isn't it a lot that that um the score of, of a film shouldn't overpower the scene or the action and and detract from it here's where i think there's a bit of a paradox because melodies like the great love refrain in brave heart George Fenton's wonderful theme in Shadowlands and the the approach of Darth Vader. Those are all highly memorable pieces, at least as well known as what's up on screen there. Surely you want people to notice your work, to hum it and to sing it? Again, these are really great questions. I I think that the goal of a piece of music in a movie is what, what is the best piece for the movie what makes the movie the best and that's in you know a lot of that obviously in the eye of the beholder but for me it's what what piece of music does the director feel is the ideal for the feeling that the director is hoping for from from his or her movie and i think that whatever is the best expression of that that's it so for example it might very well be that a piece has a a very featured melody that's very clear, you know, that says something. It's almost symbolic. It's almost like a leitmotif, perhaps, you know, um, of a character or an idea. Um, and then there are times where the music is, is, is atmospheric. It's hidden. Mm. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's just it almost, almost, don't, you know, it's, it's like a whisper. Who even knows? Um, and it depends on, on the film, you know, um, I think, uh, it, it, it's all about the movie. And I mean, maybe it's inherent in the name, but, you know, film music is, is music for film. <laughs> so, you know, it's uh, it's really, the goal is always what is best for the movie. And, um, you know, obviously I'm, I, I, there are certain movies I love where the score is something very featured. But personally, I think some of the best moments in some of the movies that I've had, the, the, the mo- most powerful moments to me are some of the places where maybe we decided to not even have music, you know, and mm. it's the interaction of the music with the silence that might be most powerful. There's a couple places in Moonlight where, you know, we, we had thought of putting music and then late in the stage of making the movie, we decided to not have music. And for me, some of those are some of the most powerful moments where it's just characters sitting with each other and maybe looking at each other and not, not saying anything and then you have music come in and it says so much because there was silence. So it really depends on the movie. It makes perfect sense, Nicholas. It's been absolutely fascinating to talk to you. Thanks ever so much for your time. Thank you. Wash your hands. Talent from every single pore. But enough about me.
Huge, huge vote of thanks to Nicholas, Nicholas Pretel, for organising some time with this podcast, Homer Corona, which is on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Triple M in Morecambe. Fantastic online radio station, that is. Triple M gets my vote. Yeah, um, and one last thing from me. I saw about five minutes of Celebrity MasterChef, no more than five minutes. The, the, the one on UK telly, Celebrity MasterChef at the moment. And not only have they just about exhausted the stocks of celebrity but genuinely there is there is a drag artist on celebrity master chef called bag of chips no irony not tongue-in-cheek this person this celebrity is called bag of chips seriously until next time be nice to each other this is celebrity master chef And yes, I am doing the inverted commas thing with my fingers over the word celebrity. It's a show where my narration is like well-done steak, completely overcooked and ultimately pointless. Drag artist, bag of chips, and fellow contestant, bottler pickled eggs, of feeling the pressure on the pass. Bagger must restock the chicken and mushroom and snake and pygmy pies as Butler tries to heat the curry sauce to the correct temperature. Meanwhile, DJ Hosepipe has to make sure the fish cakes are fried in gluten-free oil for precisely roughly three to seven minutes. As the second cousin of the Duke of Devonshire, twice removed, works out what the customer owes on the back of some chip paper. It's all far more important than anything you've ever done in your unimportant life. Celebrities equal importance.